Have you ever been asked to describe Jesus to somebody who didn't know the concept, didn't know the person, didn't know what the Bible says about Jesus? I have the uh, challenge of reading to you a few words, eight words, for my scripture assignment this morning. Will you stand, please, as we read from God's Word? At the end of chapter 9, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes these words. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's where we can start, thanking God. That's where we can start when somebody asks us, to talk to us about our experience. I wanted to share with you that other people have wrestled with this topic, have wrestled with this transcription. And here's what some of them say. Philippians, or the Philip translation. Thank God then for his indescribable generosity to you. Another one, for his inestimable gift. For his indescribable gift, reads Goodspeed. For his incomparable gift. For his inexpressible gift. And the one I want to hold close. New English Bible says, for his gift beyond words from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 the word of the Lord thank you thanks Gail thank you pretty short assignment today what you say nine words I didn't count them but you know I think about um, this season of the year and um Well, the stuff that kind of goes with the season, and we want to focus on Jesus, and that's certainly true, but, you know, the gift-giving thing and the buying that goes along with it, and a shopping is way down my list of favorite things to do. So um, when they invented online shopping, I rejoiced with exceeding great joy because <laughs> I did, didn't have to go to a store anymore. And uh, fight crowds. Uh, uh, so this, I just want to share this with you. It kind of reflects my attitude about Christmas shopping before I get into what we're really here for today. It was just a few days before Christmas. Two men who were next door neighbors decided to go sailing while their wives went Christmas shopping. While the men were out in their sailboat, a storm arose. The sea became very angry, and the men had great difficulty keeping the boat under control. As they maneuvered their way toward land, they hit a sandbar, and the boat grounded. Both men jumped overboard and began to push and shove with all their strength, trying to get the boat into deeper water. With their legs almost knee-deep in mud and the waves bouncing them against the side of the boat, and one man's hair blowing wildly in the wind, soaked and cold, He said with a grin, it sure beats Christmas shopping, doesn't it? (laughs) 
that would be my attitude too. <laughs> so um, Dale read for us the last line in Second Corinthians chapter nine today. Um, if you if you go back and and read uh, the scripture previous to this, you'll see that Paul is talking about giving generously. Um, he's been collecting a gift to take back to the Christians in Jerusalem, and he's been going to some of the New Testament churches to collect funds to take back to the people in Jerusalem who are in need. And so he's addressing the people at Corinth and talking them, talking to them about that and encouraging them to give generously and talking about, you know, those who sow generously will reap generously and some things like that. So uh, this gift is to be from them, the people of Corinth and some of the other New Testament churches to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And in verse 14, the previous verse to the one that Gail read, Paul says, And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. So he's talking about how the people in Jerusalem will respond when they receive this gift. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And I think in reflection on God's grace and the fact that God is the first giver in selflessly giving himself to us in the person of Jesus, Paul then thinks of the greatest gift. And he says, thanks be to God for the indescribable gift of his son, Jesus. I liked it, Gail, that you looked at some of the other versions and, and, and how they say that. You know, anything that the Corinthians could give could be measured and described. You see what I'm saying? Any gift that the Corinthians gave, no matter how much, could be measured and described. What God has given us in Jesus Christ is indescribable. Have you ever received a gift from someone and asked the question, what's the occasion? There are any number of reasons why we might give or receive gifts, birthdays, anniversaries, special accomplishments, holidays, sometimes just to cheer someone up. And in some cases, just because I love you. So there are a lot of reasons why we give gifts to, to one another. But the indescribable gift was given because God was saying to us, I love you. <clears throat> and love meets needs. And we have a lot of them. Martin Luther once said the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. In other words, we can't. We can't. So love meets needs. And love reached to us, first of all, because we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to sin. 
In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Paul writes, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. I've never been a slave, but I've read about slaves. I've seen movies about slaves. It doesn't look like much fun to me. It means someone or something is your master. Someone or something is in control of your life. And we are slaves to sin, and sin is a cruel master. See, the aim of sin is not only to keep you in subjection, but ultimately to destroy you. There's no middle ground. Either sin and Satan are in control of your life, or God and righteousness are in control of your life. And so if we're slaves to sin, it explains why sometimes we see, and you may see these things on television or read about them in the news, we see or hear of people who have everything, at least in our eyes, and do stupid sinful stuff that gets them in the news and in trouble. They're slaves to sin. On the other hand, a lot of folks who don't have everything do stupid, sinful stuff that may not make the news, but still gets them in trouble and messes up their lives. And it's because they are slaves to sin. You know, one of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery is that it recognizes that we're slaves to something whether it be a hurt or a, ha- or a habit or a hang-up. And sometimes um, we don't know that we're slaves, or at least we're not willing to admit it. But ultimately it's about being a slave to sin, isn't it? Well, here's the good news. In Romans 6, verse 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Folks, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to set us free from the slavery of sin, so that sin would no longer have control in our lives, but rather that we would walk in the freedom of forgiveness and obedience to God. And then love reached to us because we were separated from God. We're separated from God. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, the prophet writes, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. In Ephesians 4.18, excuse me, Paul writes, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Separated from God. Sin separates us from God. 
And the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all been separated from God at some point. But here's the good news about that. In Romans 5.8, we see, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, unless Jesus is our Savior, unless we've accepted what he did for us on the cross, we continue to be separated from God. That separation will be eternal unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. You know what? You've probably seen attempts to describe what hell will be like. I'm not sure we can really do that adequately. But I think total separation from God, I think that's as close as I can come to a description of what hell will be like because we've never experienced that total separation from God. God is still present in our world. He has not withdrawn His presence. We, we do not know what it's like for God to completely withdraw His presence, to experience total separation from God. Did you know that Jesus experienced separation for us? Remember when on the cross He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus bore the sin of the world on the cross, your sin and mine, God turned his back on him. For the first time in eternity, Jesus was separated from his Father. I cannot imagine. But you know what? Jesus experienced separation from God so that we would not have to. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus took care of that for us on the cross. That's one of the reasons why the gift came. And God gave the gift because he loved us so much. Love reached out to us because we had lost our way. Again, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. In Luke 15, verses 4 through 7, Jesus tells this story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Lost sheep. A lost sheep does not do well. I was watching, a, I like documentary kind of things. I was watching a documentary on snow and the different kinds of snow. But they, they had us in Austria and 
the mountains of Austria and uh, a family who lived in, uh, in the mountains of Austria and they had sheep and it snowed and, and the snow was deep and the sheep couldn't get home. And they were talking about how dumb sheep are. And that even though they dig a path for the sheep to get back to a, the barn where it's warm and safe, they're still not smart enough to follow the path back to the barn. And it's easy for them to lose their way and get bogged down in the snow. And if you can't get out there to help them right away, they'll freeze to death. Lost sheep just don't do well. You know, God's desire for all mankind from the very beginning was that we would spend eternity with him in heaven. He didn't design any of us for hell. So if we're headed in any other direction than towards God and eternity with him, we're lost. We're off the path. We're headed in the wrong direction. If we are not in relationship with God through Jesus, we're lost. And when we're lost, we cannot find our way. We don't know where we are. We're away from safety, protection, and provision. If you've ever been lost, maybe in a big city that was you didn't know, or maybe if you're one of those people who hikes or hunts or whatever, been lost in the woods, you know what that feels like. It's it's pretty unsettling feeling, isn't it? If you've been there, then you know what a relief it is when someone comes who can help you find your way, who can help you get unlost. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? The tragic thing would be if when someone who was lost would not admit it. And so when help came, they refused it. I think we are, we live in a world where a lot of people don't even recognize or not even willing to admit that they're lost. We see lostness all around us. And people seeking to be found in fame or power or career or wealth or accomplishment or pleasure or even in risk-taking. You know the guys that jump off bridges with a bungee cord tied to their ankle? People who are lost are people without purpose and meaning in life that truly satisfies There's an emptiness that comes from a longing to be found and come home, but they don't know where home is. They don't know that they've been designed with the desire to come home to God. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus came to find us and show us the way home? God wants us to get unlost. In fact, in Luke 19, verse 10, he tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And then love reached to us because we were spiritually dead. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And we have someone out there who wants us to be dead in that way. In John 10 verse 10, it says, The thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to steal steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The source of life is God. We rejected Him because of our sin and disobedience. And so God had no place in our lives. No God, no life. Now we're saying, wait a minute. I'm alive. And I can see. I can breathe. I can move. I'm alive. Well, in physical sense, you certainly are, but what God's talking about is spiritual life. And without Him, we're dead spiritually. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The Apostles' teaching is that life for the non-Christian is a living death. He is spiritually dead. There's no stronger term than death. How categorical he is. You cannot say anything beyond saying that a man is dead. It is not almost dead. He is actually dead. It is not desperately ill. He is dead. There is no life there. Now this is the Apostle's word, not mine. The word that is used everywhere in Scripture. And it is the word that is used about a man in a state of sin before the power of God Unto salvation in the gospel comes and does something to him. Before that, he is dead. A, a, a pastor I was reading uh, shared this thought. He said, I grew up in West Texas and there are a lot of cicada insects. Some of you know about those. They're not technically locusts, but we call them that. During the hot summer days, the loud, shrill sound that the males made would fill the air. You would usually see them in the trees. At times, you would come across the lifeless shell they had shed. It was just an empty form of the living creature that had once been there. If you put the slightest pressure on the empty form, it would crumble. Have you ever collected sand dollars on the beach? Same kind of thing. That hard shell is really just an empty shell. The living thing that once inhabited it is gone. It's dead. By the way, you can throw these things about a mile. Because if you turn it on edge and do this, it flattens out like a flying saucer and just practically sails out of sight. I just thought I'd tell you that. I've had some experience throwing sand dollars. So that, that, that empty shell that the cicada leaves behind and that sand dollar, it may look like a living thing on the outside, but there is no life on the inside. And that's the picture of what it means to be spiritually dead. We look like we're alive. I live and breathe and move physically, but inside there's nothing. We're spiritually dead. But Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, but because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Don't we have some good things to share at Christmas time? All the time, really. But this is just an opportune time. I, you at least hope that people's thoughts, maybe even as they see the word Christ Mass, it will open a door. You know, um, Julie was talking about the song Emmanuel this morning, God with us, and that's what Emmanuel means. I like, I think it was in the message, uh, that word was characterized as Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And I think about, you know, the challenge that I threw out months ago now about praying for your neighbors, the five blessings in their lives. Maybe we're Jesus in our neighborhoods. I hope so. You know what? Julie and I pray for opportunities to connect with our neighbors. And it's not easy in the wintertime because... You know, people tend to, tend to stay inside close to the fire. Unless they're out shoveling snow, they can grab your shovel and run outside. Yeah, that's, that's what I try to do too. I'm kind of up there with the curtains parted. Love reached to us because we had needs. You know, if we had needed information, God would have sent a teacher. If we had needed technology, God would have sent a scientist. If we needed knowledge, God would have sent a philosopher. If we had needed money, God would have sent a philanthropist. If we had needed pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But we needed salvation, and so God sent a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And I know there are a number of us here today who could probably say, I was a slave to sin, but now I'm free. I was separated from God, but now I've come near. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I have received the gift, the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it's, guess what? It's a gift we're supposed to pass on, aren't we? Let's pass it on. With those who uh, will be sharing together in communion this morning, if those who will be serving us would go ahead and come forward. And gentlemen, as soon as you're ready, I would encourage you to begin distributing.